I never ever really put anything before my intro music, but as you can see, this episode is really, really long, the longest episode of all time on this podcast, but it is worth it. Drew Ozenchuk is one of the smartest, best fantasy analysts you can possibly get, and this is a hundred minutes of just straight great analysis by Drew. Obviously, I play a little bit of a part here, but I mostly let Drew steal the show as we should because Drew is absolutely amazing. I promise you, this is an episode you are going to want to listen to the full thing. This is actually one of my favorite episodes of all time, and I had to cut parts out just to get it to be this short. Drew absolutely drops knowledge bombs throughout this episode, and you are going to enjoy this. It's one of the best episodes I think of this podcast has ever had. So while we are still here, go enjoy this podcast, listen to Drew, and I hope you guys all have a great time listening to it. What's up, the Shaq Bear, outside linebacker of the Tampa Bay Bucks, and you're listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. This is the 14th episode of Season 3. Today, we're going to be talking about a wide variety of fantasy football questions, talking about players we are much higher on than most, much lower on than most, some DeAndre Swift type, and breaking down two of the toughest players to figure out in fantasy football. Joining me today to break this all down is a man who has been taking over the fantasy football industry the last two years. He is the owner of a discord with almost 900 monthly subscribers he is the grandmaster of fantasy football threads an accountant by day fighting fantasy crime by night he is a really great friend of mine and one of the smartest fantasy minds i have ever seen with over 15,000 followers on twitter now he is bulletproof's drew ozenchuk welcome back to the show thanks man that was a great intro happy to be here no absolutely always great to have you and I mean, to my understanding as what you do for an accountant each and every day, I don't know how you make time for fantasy football while working the hours you do. And props to you for still building one of the biggest fantasy football discords on the planet while still doing everything that you do in your day job. Props to that. But before I, I we get into this, I, I have um, a, a question for you. And, and simply, we talked a little about this a little before the show, but for the people that don't know, like you said that you told me before the show that you work 40 hours a week, you know, in your accounting job, your day job on vacation. So how on earth do you manage this and <laughs> your energy wise? How on earth do you have time for a podcast on top of everything you do? That is the real question. Like, please speak to your dedication here. I was being a bit facetious. It's not quite that bad on vacation, but uh, <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, no, it's just, you know, you, you, you uh, make time for the things that you enjoy, and I I like fantasy football, so it's it's pretty much my only hobby. So it's really the only thing I do outside of work and family, and uh, yeah, that's that's as exciting as it gets. <laughs> no, that's fair, but I think the thing that I always find so interesting about about people like you that you know don't do this full time but still do so much in the fantasy football industry is just the fact that. A lot of these people will work, you know, 40 hour, 50 hour, 60 hour, 70 plus hour during tax season, you know, hours and weeks during, you know, the season, but then still find time for fantasy football content. But I think that just shows of how much people just straight up love the game because a lot of people similar to you just say, this is what I do. 
You know what I mean? Like I don't watch TV. I don't binge Netflix shows very often. Like when I'm not with my family or I'm not working, like this is what I do for fun. So I just wanted to, you know, let the listeners know how much of a grinder you are and how much they should be following you if they don't already at DFB Encounter on Twitter. One of the best follows on the planet. But without further ado, let's get into today's episode. And like I said, who were some of those players this year that that really stuck out in this bulletproof process? Players that were some of the ones that really said that they're probably more likely than others to have a high hit rate. Uh, there's quite a few. This was a pretty solid class. Um, I'm just really because this, this class was uh, by Twitter was not graded very highly compared to, you know, future classes. And I know this, it probably has a lot to do with the quarterbacks in this class, not necessarily wowing people, but I think there were a lot of other interesting players, you know, throughout the draft. So who were some of those (laughs) players that, that stuck out the most? So like one guy that I think will surprise maybe quite a few people, but maybe not a lot if they're involved in analytics is Wandale Robinson, which is. Honestly, I think one of the worst uh, bulletproof wide receivers we've seen in quite some time. Uh, but he did qualify for bulletproof. And if you've ever seen the movie um, Pirates of the Caribbean, when Johnny Depp rolls into the dock and hops off his boat or ship, and they're like, that is the worst ship you've ever seen. He's like, but it is a ship. That is how I feel about Wandale Robinson. He He is bulletproof, but there's a lot of red flags with even him being bulletproof yes he was wildly productive yes he's probably pretty good at football considering he was drafted in the second round but he wasn't projected to be drafted in the second round he's projected to be drafted in the fourth round and we know one thing about the nfl draft it's the teams that reach on players suck if they reach on a player he doesn't have a better expected return than if they would have just drafted him where he belonged teams don't outproduce the market ever in nfl So when the New York Giants reach on Wondell Robinson and take him in the second round, yeah, that that clicks the box and now suddenly he's bulletproof. But in reality, it's pretty unlikely that any other team would have taken him in the second round because virtually every mock draft that existed, sites like uh, Grinding the Mocks or uh, Mock Draftable or any of those types of sites, none of them had him as a second round pick. Everyone had him as a fourth round pick, which means he's probably a fourth round pick quality player. But now the Giants have made him bulletproof and it's ruining my life. Similar story happened actually in uh, 2020, I think it was. There was a, a I want to say, well-known, highly regarded tight end named Dalton Keen. And uh, he, he was supposed to be a sixth-round pick. And then in Bill Belichick's Infinite Wisdom, he took him in the third round, which... Voila, made him bulletproof in my process, and he instantly became the woat of the bulletproof process because he's the worst bulletproof player, period, of any position to ever qualify because he had no business being drafted that early. It was complete lunacy that he got drafted three rounds ahead of his projected draft capital, and then he obviously sucks. So, like, thanks, Bill, and now thank I don't even know who the GM of the Giants is anymore. But obviously, there's still some uh, residual suck left in that chair because things aren't I mean, looking how could, great. How could there not? How could there not be with the Giants? But <laughs> so wait, as you said, with the, you know the worst you know bulletproof <laughs> prospects are are players like Wandale Robinson still someone that you're in on because they're in that bulletproof process? 
And if you could just real quick, could you list some of the players that you really believe in that were named as bulletproof prospects that helped, you know, ensure what your prior thinking was on them going into the draft? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So let's let's cover your first question first, which was I I already lost track. What was your Wanda, first Wanda, question? Wanda Robinson is, is so you do believe in him because he's a bulletproof prospect, or yeah, is he someone so, that really scares you more? So like he scares me as a bulletproof prospect, but bulletproof okay. prospects are like head and shoulders better than everyone else. So okay. it's kind of like uh yeah, he's bulletproof, but like I don't think he's as good as Drake London, for instance, who's also bulletproof. Uh yep. it like there's a there's a large degree of separation there. Even some of the coin flip guys, I would definitely take over Wandale Robinson if it was straight up. If uh, if we're then comparing Wandale Robinson's ADP to him being bulletproof, hell yeah, I want Wandale Robinson because he's bulletproof and his ADP is in a place where you never get to draft bulletproof wide receivers. So just take the guy and see what happens. Like that was the same situation with Dalton Keene. It was like I don't know, maybe Bill knows all, and we should just buy into Bill's assessment that Dalton Keene's a stud because he produced like a stud. He did everything he was supposed to in college, and then he showed up to the NFL draft and got his name called when he was supposed to. So maybe it's true. Drake London, on the other hand, Drake London has one of the best profiles, in my opinion, that we've seen in quite some time. Now, he's not a Jamar Chase-level prospect. Let's not get carried away. Last year, I remember doing a podcast. I can't remember if it was yours or not, but somebody's podcast, and they asked me who was my, uh, my guy in the 2021 class. And I was like, well, it's Jamar Chase. And they kind of side-eyed me, and I was like, okay, let me explain. Jamar Chase is everyone's wide receiver one, except for the DeMonta Smith stands. They're a peculiar yeah. breed. They don't, they're irrelevant in this discussion. It's Jamar Chase for most of the world, right? Everybody yep. was on in on Jamar Chase sure. as wide receiver one. What made him my guy was that I wasn't just on Jamar Chase as wide receiver one. I was in on Jamar Chase as the 102 in Superflex rookie drafts. I was taking him ahead of Najee Harris, uh, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Kyle Pitts, whoever. The only guy I was taking heaven was Trevor Lawrence. That was it. I was taking Trevor Lawrence and then Jamar Chase. He was my guy. Drake London isn't in that tier. Drake London doesn't approach that, but nobody does. There's like 10 guys in the history of the world that are in that tier. In fact, let me take that back. There's five guys. And Jamar Chase is the second best of all of them behind Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson wow. is number one. And then Jamar Chase was the second best prospect since 2003, in my opinion. Anyways, where I'm going with all this is Drake London is not in that tier, but he's still very, very good, even among bulletproof prospects. He is, I believe, somewhere around the 12th or 13th best prospect in my process since 2003, which is really good. That's like 20 years of uh, prospects, and he's like top 10, 12, somewhere in there. Uh, so yeah, he's a real good prospect. I want him on all my teams. I was in on him when everyone was like fetishing over Traylon Burks and his raw athleticism and his ability to run real fast in a straight line and so on and so forth. And I was like, no, it's it's Drake. And then it's not Traylon. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so anyway, where I'm going with all this is the Drake London is real, 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 real good. He did everything that you could ask him to. He was productive from a young age. He was a two-sport athlete. He played basketball in college. He played NFL or uh, wide, wide receiver in college. He didn't even focus on football until his sophomore year. Until then, he was playing both sports. 
uh, sorry, he was a two-sport athlete in college, not just a two-sport athlete in high school. And then not only that, he broke out at, uh, I believe it was 18 or 19, and he did it alongside future Michael Pittman, or future top 33 pick or whatever pick he was, 34, I think, uh, in the NFL draft, Michael Pittman, and he did it, who, who, by the way, is four years older than Drake London. Four years. Crazy. And Drake still broke out while also playing basketball. Like, that's absurd. And then he did it alongside Amon Ross St. Brown. In fact, if I recall correctly, he outproduced Amon Ross St. Brown in their last years together. Amon Ross obviously went on to the NFL. He didn't get drafted all that high, but then he turned out to have a pretty good rookie season. So I think he's probably pretty good at football. So if we're looking at what Drake London has done, we're saying, yes, he did it young. He did it against NFL quality competition, both internally and externally. He like... He, he like wrecked college football this year. Like he was a one-man show, a one-man offense, which is exactly what we want to see, right? Like we want every defender lining up thinking, I got to stop Drake London. And then we want Drake London to win anyway, which is exactly what he did. So, and, and like my process, I don't actually game adjust, which is kind of unique at this point. Not many people do that anymore. I think most people do game adjust, which is fine. It's a difference of opinion. Uh, game adjusting in my in, in my process anyway, it uh, it does find more hits without without a doubt. You pick up some guys that you wouldn't otherwise pick up, but it picks up a whole bunch of guys you never would have wanted. And it doesn't help the overall hit rates. It actually decreases them. So I don't game adjust. That being said, even though I did not game adjust Drake London's final season, he still hit all my thresholds as a twenty year old. That's crazy. The guy played like eight games or something. And he still was productive enough as most of the successful NFL players are when they're in college in full seasons. Like the guy was a freak. And then, and then, and then he goes out and gets drafted eighth overall to the Atlanta Falcons. And like, what, what's not to like, but uh, that was probably one of the biggest uh, kind of hot takes I had early in draft season was Drake London ahead of Traylon Burks. And then eventually it became Drake London tier of his own. And then eventually everyone else was similarly on board. Not, no, I don't know if everyone's quite on Drake London tier of his own, but they were, or they weren't. Or definitely, definitely. Well, I mean, I think by the end and right before he was drafted, he was. But I, I remember vividly that you were one of the first people on Drake London. And I remember reading your thread, and I was like, "This is insane! Like, how is it not Traylon Burks, like the greatest wide receiver of all time?" Basically. Obviously, I'm kidding when I say that. I'm being sarcastic about Traylon Burks, people that don't understand sarcasm. But it's not just the whole, you know, Traylon Burks is the wide receiver one by far in a way anymore like it was for so many people, you know, until draft season got a little bit closer. But on the flip side of that, Drake London, the guy on the offensive side that you really like, but is there any player, you know, between quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end that you're a lot more sour on than the consensus doesn't mean you hate them or you don't like them, but just compared to how most people view them, that you're a lot more sour and you're not as in on as other people that they like, you know, so far in this draft class. Yeah. So there, there's a guy uh, that I, 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 let me rephrase. Malik Willis is a guy <laughs> that I could not understand people's infatuation with. He like if he got drafted in the first round, if he got drafted in the first round, he would have been, I believe, the fourth worst passer among all first round picks dating back to 2003 in the metrics that I look at. The fourth worst passer 
That's you know how many bad first round picks there are at the quarterback position in the last 20 years? It's pathetic. And he would have been the fourth worst. Like he was an atrocious and or a college passer. He's old and still couldn't be efficient. And he went to a small school and he still couldn't be efficient. Like he's playing against poor players. I don't care that his wide receivers suck. He's still playing against poor players that he should be able to simply throw the ball where they're not. And yet he could not do that. He's not getting pressured at the same rate that everyone else is, or at least not as terrifyingly pressured as everyone else is. Like, I just, I didn't get the appeal for him from a dynasty lens. I, if you wanted to say, hey, like draft, draft Malik Willis in a redraft league, like take your shot at a late round quarterback that might pop. Yeah, like Malik Willis for sure. Like the guy could have, if he gets on the field, he's probably going to score some fantasy points. Problem is, he may never get on the field. And then he's probably not going to be on the field for very long because he's not very good at passing the football. And you can't simply exist as a rushing quarterback forever. Like you yeah. need to have some element of passing ability. And he did not dis- he didn't display that at, in any season in the entirety of his college football career, which is crazy. And then I was on Twitter constantly, or in the especially in the patrons discord, because there was a lot of pro. Uh, Malik Willis talk in the patrons discord and uh, I yeah I just it was I, I just I, I understand the appeal of if you draft a player and they're only merely good and not great they don't really matter in winning you a fantasy football league but I also care about does my asset go to zero and Malik Willis had a very realistic chance of going to zero so realistic in fact that he didn't even get drafted until the third round of the NFL draft. Like, that's how bad of a player he was. He didn't even get drafted until the third round of the NFL draft as a quarterback in the NFL. <laughs> like, <laughs> you need a quarterback to win football games. Teams reach on quarterbacks all the time. He didn't even get drafted in the second round. Like, that is a major indictment of his abilities as a passer. And does that, does that go... Does that go with like and and I just want you know to ask you this because I just want other people to understand you know from a clarification argument is there's going to be people listening to this right now that are saying Drew Drew but Lamar Jackson and Trey Lance and and Jalen Hurts like none of them none of them can pass so All one substantially better passers than him in college football yeah. like substantially like I agree Lamar Jackson I think was like. I don't know, 15th or something among first round picks out of like 43. Like it wasn't, he wasn't a bad passer by metrics in college football. He wasn't a great passer and his, his passing, I don't know. It was, I, I don't really know how it got so high. It was maybe 15th is high. Maybe he was more like 20th, but he he was like middle of the pack ish. Like he wasn't, there wasn't a glaring flaw here that this guy can't pass the football. Yep. Jalen hurts was pretty good at passing the football in college at, uh, Oklahoma he was he wasn't so good at Alabama but he was a young quarterback at Alabama he was a you know junior and senior at Oklahoma and then who was the other guy you said Trey Lance Trey Lance had one of the best passing seasons we ever see the guy threw like 28 touchdowns and zero interceptions get out of here he's not a good passer it's crazy so you think that so you think it's it's very overblown that Malik Willis is just one of these guys that's going to automatically step in step on the field very quickly and and produce I mean, if he steps on the field, he'll produce because he's going to rush the football and Konami is yeah. king. 
but is he ever going to get on the field? I would have my doubts. Like he might get in the game if he's a uh, injury fill in or something, but I seriously doubt there's ever going to be a season where a team looks at him and says, you're our week one starter. Let's go. That's never going to happen. He's going to be a backup that gets thrust into a position to start. If the starter gets hurt, that's it. That's his only path to starting. That's crazy. And that's, that's, that's exactly what we're looking for here. A player like that, that just like does not pop like the same way you do. And it's, that's hard to hear for me, but I'm more of a redraft person where I'm just like, I want the guys to have the rushing production, but it doesn't always mean the same thing in dynasty wise. And like you said, it doesn't mean he's going to get an opportunity on the field. I think one of the crazy things like you said is like, people are still acting like he's a first round pick and that he's just going to walk onto the field and walk right over Ryan Tannehill. I'm not saying Ryan Tannehill is like the, like the greatest quarterback of all time, but like, you know, he's not going to hand over the keys. And, you know, Ryan Tannehill said it himself that I'm, I'm not handing over the keys. You know, I think that was overblown. But again, just I think I'm agreeing with you 100%. But beyond the rookies that, this year. Yeah, go I ahead. May, Please. On that topic of rookie third round picks walking onto the field in week one, <laughs> it basically doesn't happen. Like, really, you're, you're talking about winning the lottery at that point. But like, Russell Wilson. Get out of here. The guy, the, the they're like, oh, Matt Flynn got paid. What are you talking about? Like, the guy played like two games in his career. He happened to throw six touchdowns in one of them. Like, it wasn't a wise investment. We, he, he never played football. Uh, so, like, I, there's this talk on Twitter that I saw a while ago. I carried over into the Discord about uh, uh, Desmond Ritter gonna beat out Marcus Mariota in week one, which is completely absurd. There's like, a 0.08% chance that that happens. Like it's, it's so far-fetched simply because Desmond Ritter isn't good. He was drafted in the third round too. If he was good, he'd have been drafted in the first round. He's a quarterback. Teams need quarterbacks. In fact, the Atlanta Falcons probably could have used a quarterback. They had Marcus Mariota. They still didn't take him in the first round. They didn't take him in the second round. That doesn't mean that he's going to beat out Marcus Mariota because he's the third rounder. Because now he's on the team. He's a third rounder. That means he's not good at football. Yep. No, Marcus exactly. Mariota has started for, I believe, four and a half seasons in the NFL. Desmond Ritter may never start a week one in his career. In fact, probably will not start a week one in his entire career, barring a preseason injury. Like, it's so unrealistic to even suggest that, that it's like a disservice to, for people that don't understand that Russell Wilson is a once in a million phenomenon. They're thinking, oh, well, you know, this comes back to this whole like thing that just drives me crazy where people are talking about like possibilities versus probabilities. It's like, yeah, anything is possible. Like, I could grow a six inch beard overnight. That could happen. Probably not going to. It's never happened before. Probably happened to someone once. I don't know. Like, it's just, there's so many things that are possible that are highly improbable and people are like it's possible don't tell me it's not possible because it is i found one instance where it could happen and it's just it's just ridiculous what's the thing with like the, the every every year when there's a sixth round qb that's an absolute statue that gets drafted that can throw the ball semi well it's like okay well, he could be tom brady and like yeah. you said it's possible sure I can't, i'm not going to tell you it's not because it's happened but like yeah. it's happened once in the history of the entire NFL that's had 55 or more Super Bowls. Like, <laughs> like it doesn't like there's been so many drafts, and it's happened one time in like 55 years. Like, I get that this guy can't move, 
and he can throw the ball somewhat accurately, but does not mean he's Tom Brady just because it's happened once in 55 years. So I'm with you. It's crazy, but we will digress and move on uh, to bigger and better things. And go ahead. Every single year, there's a guy that's going to be the next. Oh, Tom every, year. every year, every year. Yeah, like last, last year it was Mac Jones because he wears a, a blue and red and white jersey and he can't move. <laughs> you know, I don't know. This this year, I don't I don't even know who it would be. It would be this. Oh, it's going to be Carson Strong this year. Or yeah, Carson Strong would be the Tom Brady this year. There was a guy a few years ago. Uh, I think he was drafted by the Texans, and he actually was a Week One starter, which is hilarious. Uh, his name was. Tom Savage, maybe? Tom Savage. And I oh remember specifically reading an article all about how he was the next Tom Brady as a rookie. Then he went in like round four or something. And I remember I saw somebody, I don't know where it was, but it must have been on like Bleacher Report or something because it was a long time ago. And uh, saw people saying, oh, he's even better than Tom Brady. He's a fourth round pick, <laughs> not a sixth round. Like ironically, not not seriously. But it yeah, was like, it, oh, this is so hilarious. Like this is so like, true. It's like and the then, people that like starting Deshaun Watson's rookie year and Watson took over by halftime of the first game. <laughs> it's crazy. It's like the people that like when, when Brock Osweiler took over for the Broncos and he won like his first two starts, people are like this guy could literally be the second coming of Peyton Manning because he plays in the Broncos and he had like two good games. Like it, again, we have to digress, but it, like people see one game stamp like Dak, like Dak was like a, a late round pick and he won a couple games and they're like, okay, like, you know, maybe we have the next Tom Brady on our hands because he, yeah. you know, he won a couple games and he was a late round pick. Like, come on, people. It's crazy those, to me. Those but, QB wins are tough. Like that yeah. kid out of the, uh, he's not a kid, I guess, that guy out of the Jets last year. What was his name? Uh, oh, man. Uh, Phil, something White. I can't remember. Uh, Mike White. Mike, Mike White. White. It was like, yeah, he's, he's going to take Zach Wilson's job. He's the QB of the future. I'm like, the guy's ADOT is like 3.7. Like, get out of here. He's not a real quarterback. Yeah, he he's might be one of the greatest player. screen passers who's, who ever lived, but yeah. he's not a good quarterback. But we will we will digress, and we will move on to running backs, non-rookies now, moving on from rookies to non-rookies that, that we're too low on. And I would like to start here because – on Twitter, as people that probably have listened to this podcast know that I like DeAndre Swift a little bit. And Drew, I have done my absolute best to not talk about Swift very much on the podcast, but we are getting into that season where it's time to talk about him any chance I can possibly get. And I won't even state the full case. And I will say for the listeners now, my flag plant for 2022 is officially going to drop on this Friday's episode in a running back deep dive episode. Tune in for that for my official flag plant reveal 15 episodes into the season. But I had to be right. It had to be ready, and it will be ready. But right now, DeAndre Swift, I think, is one of the most undervalued players in redraft and dynasty alike. And I was someone that was very in on last year. That's clear. We don't need to talk about that. But last year, all he did when he was on the field was completely back it up. This man... Even though it felt like Jamal Williams was playing 75% of the game and Swift was never on the field, DeAndre Swift was eighth in the NFL in median snap share. There were only seven running backs on the field at a higher percentage than he was. He was third among all running backs in target share. He was a top five running back before getting hurt. He was second in yards created per touch, and he was 12th in weighted opportunities while missing four games. Weighted opportunities for people that don't know our carries plus targets combined targets are worth more because in PPR leagues, a target is worth more than a carry because receptions are worth more points. But this guy was literally top three in the NFL and waited opportunities before he got hurt. 
Like this guy was getting the most valuable touches possible. He was tied for the most targets per game in the NFL. He was eighth in the NFL in fantasy points per game, and he never had a serious injury. He didn't tear his ACL or tear his Achilles. He had a groin strain that he missed no games from, a sprained shoulder, and a concussion so far in the NFL. He's not injury prone because he's missed a maximum of four games at once. It's beyond me. DeAndre Swift is the man. I know you have him. I think is your running back two in Dynasty right now behind only CMC. If I have that right, it might have changed. But Swift is amazing to me. Do you have anything to add on Swift? And who is your undervalued running back that people are not buying in enough on? Okay, so earlier this offseason, I, I rolled out this brand new way of doing rankings. I don't do linear rankings anymore. So I don't have like a running back one or running back two or three, sure. four or five. It doesn't go like that. What I have now are clusters. And basically what I do is I do projections for the players. And then uh, I cluster them based on their age so that you can tell which players I think are going to score the most points uh, or a similar level of points at the same age or a similar age. So my my top tier, I had to call really good. I used to call it elite, but then I was uh, told I was copyright infringing on Twitter because elite was owned by someone else. So that was awkward. And I had to change it to really good, which I think, you know, the, delivers the same message. So anyway, in my really good tier, which I project for 20 plus points per game, under 24 years of age, we have Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift and no one else. I do not think wow. any other players will be in that range that are under 24 years and old, that are tw under 24 years old. So in my opinion, DeAndre Swift is probably the second most valuable uh, wide receiver or running back in Dynasty, without question. Wow. In fact, if I was picking though, and I had to pick one player to keep him forever. I couldn't trade. I would take DeAndre Swift over Jonathan Taylor because he has a way higher ceiling than Jonathan Taylor. And people don't understand exactly what receptions mean for running back or for yeah, for running backs. Because DeAndre Swift has a ceiling that Jonathan Taylor could never even dream of. Jonathan Taylor ran scalding hot last year on touchdowns. He had like, I don't know, 18 touchdowns in 16 games or something. Like it was a wild touchdown season. He was running for long touchdown after long touchdown after long touchdown, which is great. And he may do it again. But unless he's going to catch 60, 70 passes, he's never going to approach the ceiling that DeAndre Swift can have. DeAndre Swift has 100-plus touch or 100 plus reception in his range of outcomes. And that is a level that is not attainable by players that do not have that kind of target share. DeAndre Swift could easily have a 25-plus point-per-game season, which is something that is... like. Jonathan Taylor, I believe, had 22.8 points per game last year. Jonathan Taylor's expected points per game was only like 19.6 or somewhere thereabouts. I can't remember this specific number, but it was well less than that. He ran way, way over what he should have. DeAndre Swift, on the other hand, if he gets the same type of reception or the same type of receiving workload that he had last year, which is not an unreasonable workload. He was around 20% target share, if I recall, by the time he got hurt, maybe a little higher. That's right in the range of where we expect the elite wide receiver or the elite running backs to be is around 20%. There was nothing crazy about his target share other than showing that he is really freaking good at receiving the football because they threw him the football a lot. Uh, yeah, anyway, he has 25 points. He has break fantasy potential. Jonathan Taylor doesn't have break fantasy potential. Jonathan Taylor needs a role change to hit break fantasy potential, and he's probably never going to get it. Jonathan Taylor is basically Ezekiel Elliott. Whereas DeAndre Swift is Christian McCaffrey, if he was like amazing, which he may never get to either. 
but he's more like Alvin Kamara. Maybe that's a better example. Yep, I, I love it. And he also has an upgraded offensive line. But the, the thing I want to ask you, though, that I, I'm curious about and, you know, as I go to is to my my local neighborhood expert in, in Canada and you, what do you say to the people that say, but Drew, Amon Ross St. Brown's target share went crazy when Swift was out. He's still going to get a crazy target share. You know, TJ Hawkinson will be back healthy. They added Jamison Williams. How can Swift maintain a 20% target share with all that extra added competition, and they added DJ Shark, who's awesome. I hate him, but all they added <laughs> all these players. Can he maintain that target share? Absolutely, he can maintain that target share because the best players maintain their target share. They own their yeah. targets, so he he may not build on that target share. Sure. Like I wouldn't go out and say that DeAndre Swift is going to have an even higher target share this year. Yeah, but he could have the same target share for sure. In fact, I think it would be kind of wild if he had a substantial decrease in targets because of anyone else on the team because they don't run his routes. Yep. And yeah. there's a pretty good chance that the ones that DeAndre Swift are catching, there's no one else that's going to catch those passes. It's just yep. him. So that's what people don't understand. I think one of the things that could affect things, even though it like rarely does, is if they got another quarterback that threw the ball deep constantly and never checked down, or, or like a rushing quarterback. Like let's say for some reason the Baltimore Ravens are unable to come to turns with uh, Lamar Jackson. They end up trading him to Detroit. That's not going to be good news for DeAndre Swift. Yep, running agreed. quarterbacks rarely check down. So that's going to be uh, not a good situation. <laughs> but outside of something crazy like a Lamar Jackson or the second coming of Lamar Jackson arrives, I wouldn't be too concerned about DeAndre Swift. There's a lot of wiggle room there too. Like he doesn't have to maintain a 20 plus percent target share to be one of the top receiving running backs in football. He's probably not going to break fantasy unless he gets 20% plus, but he could still be a top five running back with a 18% or 17% target share. So yep. no, fine. I totally agree. Who's who's a player that you think is is going a little bit too low right now at the running back position that you think more people should be in on? Christian McCaffrey, people are constantly talking about you know, trying to win their league, which rightfully so. I play fantasy to win my leagues as well. But then every once in a while, a player comes along that just completely destroys fantasy. And then people don't move mountains to get that player, and it just perplexes me. It's like Christian McCaffrey is injury prone. And then it's like, well, actually, he played like seven years in a row without a single injury, so he's probably not injury prone. But he's probably a running back, so he's probably going to hurt sometimes. So... Now, is this trend of him now getting hurt all the time? Is he now injury prone? I have no idea. But I don't know that any running back is free of injury risk. They're all going to get injured. So take the one that can break the damn game and go win your league. And if he gets hurt, so be it. You can still win your league without Christian McCaffrey, but you're definitely going to win your league with Christian McCaffrey if he's healthy. Like there's like a, there's no player in football that gives you a better chance to win your league on a weekly basis than Christian McCaffrey. He is the epitome of league winner. And for some reason, he's got, like, I'm looking at his, K, K, his keep trade cut value right now. It's 57-24, which looks like it's about wide receiver eight or nine or something like that. And that's just absurd. Uh, yeah, he's a little older. He's 26 years old, but he's also one of the best running backs we've ever seen at scoring fantasy points in fact he is the best running back we've ever seen at scoring fantasy points so if you're gonna place a bet on an old running back 
if 26 is old to you, then this is the guy you want to place your bet on. There's would no you say to- fantasy football than Christian McCaffrey. Okay, I love that. I love CMC. He's someone I'm, I'm going to be banging the drum for all offseason. But let me ask you this. You know, you're you're offered a trade in a, in a fantasy league. And I know that it depends on the team and everything like that. But what if someone said something like, I'll offer you DeAndre Swift and a third-round pick, you know, for Christian McCaffrey. Do you trade Christian McCaffrey or do you say, no, this guy has a much higher ceiling, like I'm going to take him? If you're somewhat in win-now mode. I would never make that trade because I would okay. want to have both. Okay. <laughs> it's that Fair. simple. I'm not yep. giving away a player that I want for another player that I want. If okay. I want to go trade for Christian McCaffrey, I'm going to trade away somebody I don't think is valued appropriately or undervalued. So sure. I'm going to go trade Jonathan Taylor and get Christian McCaffrey in a first-round pick or something yep. like that. I'm going to go trade, uh, I don't even know, Derek Henry straight up if I can. Ah, that's not possible. Never mind. I'm going to go trade Najee Harris for Christian McCaffrey and a second-round pick, an early second-round yep. pick. I'm going to go, or yeah, that's probably reasonable. Okay, that's that's totally fair. What about wide receivers, though? I, I have a wide receiver I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that I think is ridiculously undervalued in redraft dynasty and any possible fantasy format. I'm curious to hear yours, but mine is a guy that honestly could end up being in my my guys at, at this point and one of my three my guys, and I'm heavily debating him, but it's Allen Robinson. Like Allen, The Allen Robinson hate makes absolutely <laughs> no sense to me, and then some. I mean, this guy was literally a top 10 wide receiver in 2019 and 2020. Had a terrible year last year with Justin Fields, the bad coaching, bad offense. But even in the role that he's going to be in, I mean, Robert Woods, who I think is less talented than Robinson, was a top 15 wide receiver the last three years under Sean McVay. Robert Woods was the wide receiver 12, a wide receiver one for the first nine weeks of the season last year before he got hurt. And Robinson can play all over the field. And he could legitimately be a wide receiver one with Cooper Cup to me. I mean, the Coop Cup and Woods together were wide receiver ones. You know, and, and when Woods went out and Odell Beckham was a, like acclimated to that offense, Odell Beckham was averaging like wide receiver one numbers to the end of the season in the playoffs. I know that was a little bit because of you know the touchdowns that he was catching, but the point is here is like whoever's playing this wide receiver two role, whether it was cup or woods or whoever it's been the last few years under McVay, that player is producing. And then you add in, in a huge upgrade at quarterback, you know, in Matthew Stafford, like who's going to take targets away, Van Jefferson, Tyler Higby. Like, are you kidding me? Like this is going to be a condensed offense with one of the most talented wide receivers we've seen in the last couple of years that is getting a huge quarterback upgrade. When the second best quarterback of his career is probably Blake Bortles is the second best quarterback of his career. And the best quarterback of his career is a guy that who he's yet to play with. It's insane to me. I'm all in on Allen Robinson. Please don't tell me I'm crazy. You're absolutely not crazy. Uh, I'm looking at his value right now, and it is – I have him marked as a buy. As no you shocker. should. <laughs> and, yeah, it's, like, ridiculous. Uh, there's a lot of guys in that price range that I like as well, like uh, – Keenan Allen's like slightly more expensive. Brandon Cooks is a little cheaper. Like, give me any of those guys. But Allen yeah. Robinson is the guy. Well, Keenan Allen has a pretty high ceiling too. Give me one of those guys. Yeah. Robinson's cheaper. I'll take him. Agree. You're absolutely right. Like the this is the best quarterback he's ever played with. By he far. Is extremely talented at football. Don't overthink it. Draft Allen Robinson. And exactly. also do not, under any circumstances, trade your 2023 first-round pick for Allen Robinson in the middle of last season because that would be idiotic. 
<laughs> I wouldn't. I have not. I Good. will not. But who who's a player for you for a wide receiver that you think that people are too low on? Or if you have a couple, please feel free to name a couple of players that like maybe it's maddening to you. Maybe you're, you know, pulling that luscious hair out of yours um, of players <laughs> that, you know, you just you just can't do it. But who are those wide receivers like Brandon Cooks, I think, is absolutely one of them that people are consistently undervaluing. But who are some guys that you think people are just too low on right now? So I was going to give you some like high priced ones that, yeah, uh, price. that like everybody knows, but like AJ Brown, like I, I've been like, so AJ Brown and I have a rocky relationship to say the least in 20, uh, pardon me in 2019 pre-draft, I was all in on AJ Brown. And then he got drafted by the Titans who had Corey Davis coming off with of 26% target share. Everybody still thought Corey Davis is a stud, including me. I was saying, you continue to draft A.J. Brown because he's good at football. He then proved to be good at football. But then what happened was really interesting. His price went directly to the moon for no real reason. Let me take let me take that back. For a real reason. He's really good at football. I get it. He is one of the best wide receivers on the planet and has been basically since he stepped foot in the NFL. But there was no way in hell I was buying him at wide receiver one pricing or or thereabouts. That's where he was valued last year. And I couldn't fathom that price tag because he was playing for the freaking Titans. The Titans don't throw the damn football. You can't be the wide receiver one overall if your team only passes the ball 500 times a season. Like, it's simply impossible. You would, you would need like a 40% target share. Maybe that's a bit extreme. But you need an absurdly high target share. Which is never going to happen, uh, even for the best player. Like the best wide receivers in football hover around thirty percent, and very, very, very few of them ever hit it twice. Yeah. In the last, I don't know, ten years or so, it's been DeAndre Hopkins and uh, uh, Devontae Adams. They're like the two guys that hit thirty percent more than once. That's it. Nobody That's else, uh, or at least not back to back. Anyway, I can't remember if there was any that did it over the stretch, but not back to back. So it's like, it's, it's so rare. So AJ Brown was wildly overpriced. Now he gets traded to the Philadelphia Eagles, who are also a fairly bad offense uh, in terms of passing, because Jalen Hurts isn't all that good at passing in the NFL. He's fine, but he's not good. And they didn't let him pass a whole lot. And now his price is cratered like 3,000 KTC points, keep trade cut points between those years. And it should know because he's got the same friggin' ceiling and the same friggin' floor because both teams are hamstrung by low pass attempts and or poor volume or poor uh, quarterback play. Wow. So okay. His value just like tanked for no real reason, in my opinion. So now I have marked as a buy for the first time in like years, but he's too obvious. So I wasn't going to give you him. So forget all that, but you should probably buy AJ Brown though. The, the, not obvious one. The one you can go and get in every single league that you play in, and you absolutely should be, is Jarvis Landry. Oh. Everybody's forgotten about Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry has an entire career of 25% plus target shares. If you have a 25% target share, you're pretty, you get a pretty realistic chance at a top 12 season. You have a near guarantee of a top 24 season and things go unless things go like worst in the league type situation. And that's basically what he was in last year. Jarvis Landry was wildly ineffective. He was also playing injured for the first time in his life. He wasn't even supposed to be ready for the season. Uh, somehow he played. 
it was painful. Baker Mayfield was injured after like week two and was an absolute train wreck of a quarterback last year. It was like the worst situation on top of the worst situation in which Jarvis Landry just sucked. We have a whole career of Jarvis Landry not sucking. He has top he has top 12 seasons. He has a friggin' handful of top 24 seasons. Now he's allegedly healthy and is in a new situation with Jamie Swinston, who is a pretty good passer of the football when it comes to offensive things. He's not so great when it comes to protecting the football, but we don't friggin' care if he protects the football. As long as he passes for 5,000 yards and Jarvis Landry gets 1,200 of them, we're happy. So here's the thing. If Jarvis Landry plays and is healthy and Jimmy Swinston plays and is healthy, Jarvis Landry is probably going to be a wide receiver too at worst. If Michael Thomas does not play, which it's kind of sounding like who knows what the hell is going on with him. He's been out for like two years and they're still talking about him hopefully being ready by training camp. So I'm just taking that and saying, I'll go buy some Jarvis Landry. We'll hope for the best. Even if MT plays, Jarvis Landry is probably going to be a wide receiver too. So, and like his, his value right now, let me, let me just look up how low it is because it's, it's embarrassingly low. That's crazy. I, I didn't honestly didn't even think of that because you, like a lot of people would think that, okay, they have Chris Olave, Michael Thomas is coming back, Alvin Kamara, whatever. But on the, the flip side of that, it's like, okay, well, Michael Thomas might not be ready for training camp. Alvin Kamara could be out of the NFL if this off the field case goes crazy. And then it could be Jarvis Landry with Jameis, you know, 30 for 30 Winston, you know, throwing to a Traquan Smith, a first round rookie, no matter how good he is, and Jarvis Landry, which means like wheels up for Jarvis Landry potentially. So like I'd be buying him alone just at the factor. But the other part of it, like you said, is great players earn great target shares. And Jarvis Landry could still carve out a good target share, even if Michael Thomas plays and if my, like Alvin Kamara plays and if Chris Olave plays. That like, but like he doesn't need all that to happen when you know to the top two probably target getters in this offense could literally not be playing come week one. So I'm, I'm with you. What is his value? Uh, so I just looked it up because I wasn't 100 sure. It yeah. turns out you can get him for the premium price of wide receiver 71. Wow. <laughs> it's, oh my it's goodness! Just craziness. That's crazy. Like last year. The patrons wanted someone to buy. I gave them Antonio Brown. I said, I don't care about all his off-field stuff. If he steps foot on the field, he's one of the best wide receivers in football. You draft Antonio Brown. Hope for the best. We'll see where we get to. Jarvis Landry is a similar situation in which people have just completely written him off. Uh, Not similar in why they've written him off. They've written him off because they think he sucks now, which is ridiculous because last year for the Browns, he put up a 24.7% target share, which is directly in line with what he's put up every single year of his entire career. So just go get you some Jarvis Landry. He's basically free and like, he's probably going to be a wide receiver too this year. I love that. Is there any other players that, that also (laughs) stick out here that, that are players that, you know, are wide receivers at least that people are a little bit too low on? Um, well, this one is near and dear to my heart because I'm Please. a little upset about it. <laughs> and I don't really know. It's not, a, I'm not telling you to buy him. I'm just telling you the masses are wrong. Okay. This is a totally different type of conversation. One moment. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Take as many moments. Get a little fuel for this one. Need. So there's a wide receiver. His name is Rondell Moore. 
He plays wide receiver <laughs> for the Arizona Cardinals. He's real short. We all know this. He has a real low A dot. We've known this since he was a freshman in college. He's never had a high A dot. We've always known exactly what he is. He's a gimmicky wide receiver that's going to rack up catches around the line of scrimmage and is one of the most athletic freaks we've ever seen. Is impossible to tackle. And he's always been that. There's no, There's been no surprises. That's exactly what he was in the NFL as a rookie. That's exactly what he was in college. There are no surprises here. Rondell Moore went out and had a solid rookie season. He didn't have a bad rookie season. He didn't have a good rookie season. It was fine. There was no red flags really outside of his low A dot, which we knew was coming. Like, that's what I don't get. We knew he had a low A dot. We expected him to have a low A dot. And then when he had a low A dot, the masses punished the hell out of him. They nerfed him into the ground. It's ridiculous. So the masses, I do this thing called ADP trends. Uh, And basically how it works is if you lose 12 or more spots in ADP, after your rookie year, you probably suck because they all suck. Most of them don't do what Rondell Moore did as a rookie, let alone that we expected what he did as a rookie. We already knew he wasn't going to be overly productive. We knew he'd be moderately productive. We knew his ADOT was going to be low because his ADOT's always been low. We knew he was short when he got drafted because he went to the freaking combine. Like we knew everything we needed to know to expect exactly what he gave us as a rookie. And then people nerfed him and I don't get it. It's so crazy. I'm rattled that the masses have turned on Rondell Moore. They shouldn't have. We already knew this was coming. And now they they made him a face planner. And I'm left here with all my Rondell Moore shares holding my bag after buying exactly what I thought I was buying. And the <laughs> masses are telling me I'm wrong. And normally I always agree with the masses. And now I have to agree with the masses. Except the masses are wrong. And I refuse to accept that he's a true face planner because the masses are wrong. Really? And and wait, can you can you please like I, I hate to digress. We are gonna go right back to wide receivers, but can you explain what this whole face planner phenomenon is and why you think that maybe Rondale Moore could come out of this this famous face planner thing for the people that don't know on Twitter? Well, here's the thing. I he is a face planner, I can't deny yeah. it. Uh, this is a defined thing. He has he has face planted by the definition of face planner, which is losing 12 or more spots of ADP year over year. How we got to knowing this ADP face planner thing was a thing was because back in, I don't know, 2016, I was just getting into Dynasty. That was my second year of Dynasty. I started in 2015. And I was an avid Dynasty player from day one. I Well, I, I, that's not true. I didn't know anything about Dynasty. I joined <laughs> In fact, I started my Dynasty League simply because my friend had never played fantasy football and I always wanted to try Dynasty. And it was too late to put a normal league together, so we put together a Dynasty League. Anyways, the moral of the story is I had no idea what I was doing. I was simply going off my gut nine times out of ten because I didn't know about fantasy football articles. I didn't know there was an entire industry dedicated to it. I was going off my gut. And then after my first year, I found a podcast. And then I started listening to lots of podcasts and then started reading lots of articles. And then I was like just completely enthralled in everything dynasty and like 90% of articles and like 90% of fantasy football content at that time was basically, Oh, who sucked as a rookie? Yeah. Go buy them because uh, it takes time. It takes players take time. You got to let them develop. What were you thinking? He's, 
you don't you don't not draft Laquan Treadwell because he only had one catch as a rookie. He just needed time. The coach, the coach doesn't play rookies, don't you know? He doesn't play rookies. Unless, of course, they're good at football, then he will. But if they suck, he's not going to play them. Kind of like the coach doesn't play bad players, which makes sense. Or like uh, Josh Doxson, he got hurt. Basically lost his whole year to Achilles tendon. Corey Coleman scored two touchdowns, 108 yards in his second game. Then he got hurt. And then he came back and he sucked. And all these guys face planted. And I was out there buying them all because everyone was telling me, why do receivers take time? Wide receivers take time. You can't rush it. You need three years. You need to give a wide receiver three years before you can give up on them. So I got real annoyed in about 2018, 2017, somewhere in there. 2017, I think I started doing it. And it wasn't, I didn't get very far. I only did about six years or so, uh, five years maybe of tracking ADP trends. I'm going back through ADP to see if you know you could actually buy low on these players and it never worked out because in my Kevin White's another Kevin White sucked. Well, he got hurt and then he sucked. He played like a few games and sucked and he, like he was nothing ever at any point in his career. He's never been a fantasy player. Uh, who else was back in that era? I can't remember. There's a whole bunch anyway. And I, I bought them. I my my team was like a friggin'. I don't even know, like a graveyard of face planters. But the face planter term didn't exist yet. There was just a graveyard of shitty wide receivers that never worked out. That took to the needed time, that needed three years. So I started tracking them and looking at them. And I did it for all positions. I was like, well, like, can you actually buy low on any position? Like, is that a thing? Or does it ever work? What's What are the odds that this works out? So I went back and I looked. And yeah, it's like, basically a death sentence like it's so so rare for a wide receiver or basically any position to recover from face planning if they don't do if they don't impress the dynasty community as a rookie they don't have to score a lot of yards they don't have to score a lot of points but they need to impress and that's one of the things that i i wanted to look at because you know yardage thresholds like everybody's in a different situation what about the guy that didn't get a chance to play because he was with uh i don't know green bay and I don't know. They're they got too many good players, so wide receivers have to wait. Whatever. The point is, if a player is completely terrible as a rookie, it's probably because the player is just completely terrible. It probably has nothing to do with him needing time. Coaches are trying to win on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. So if the players aren't giving them what they need to try to win the football game, they're not going to put them on the field. And there's a pretty good chance they're never going to develop into that. And here, here's one of the biggest fallacies that drives me absolutely freaking crazy. Players need time to develop, right? Everybody's getting better. Everyone, think think about that whole sentence. Everybody's yeah. getting better. Not yeah. just the shitty player that you think is good. Everybody's getting better. Meaning... All the other players on the team are getting better too. It's not just that one guy that's developing. There's 54 guys on the team or how many frigging guys are on the team? How many wide receivers on that team? Like eight? Well, if your guy got beat up by seven of them, the other seven are still getting better. It's not just him. Everybody's developing. And that's where I think one of the biggest like misconceptions with development Twitter comes from is they don't realize that it's not just their guy. It's all the team. The whole team's getting better. And guess what? They're also bringing in new players to compete. 
So your guy better be actually good to hold his spot. Anyway, that's yeah. what the face versus all. No, that that sums it up. That sums it up perfectly with exactly what you know what these face planners are and guys that that fall in in value. You know, typically don't. And and here's one other thing. I just want to set you up here. So, like what you mentioned is that face planners are you know usually rookies that you know fall at least twelve spots in ADP year over year. Who are some of the players that have succeeded as face planners? Because there is not many whatsoever, and even the ones that did succeed did not to a high level of success, except for one, you know, former player. But are there any you know face planners from last season of guys that had pretty high ADP in the twenty twenty class that are now considered as face planners? <laughs> Uh, let me tell you the 2020 uh, face planners. The 2020 face planners or the 2021 face planners? Uh, either, the, sorry, the most recent draft class, 2021. I, I don't know why I was saying 2020. So Travis Etienne face planted. He got hurt. He oh. lost 16 spots in AP. That's not a death sentence because here's what's interesting about this. I, As you know, I give all the players a grade. Yep. When I look at all the face planning bulletproof running backs, they don't suck. They're real good, in fact. So you should probably still be buying Travis Etienne unless you think his injury is significant and he'll never be the same. That's a totally different scenario. Yep. But his face planning, I'm not that worried about. Yep. Uh, Trey Sermon face planted. No surprise here. So that was hilarious. One of my best takes of all time was actually like a out of the side of my mouth take. Like a like a throwaway joke that I never really meant, but if you asked me on any other moment, I would tell you I was dead serious. <laughs> we were talking about Trey Sermon in the in the patrons Discord, and we had a, quite a few uh, Trey Sermon stands. Not because they liked Trey Sermon necessarily, but because they thought that any running back at the with the 49ers could be good. Which I'm not going to argue with. Any running back that plays for the 49ers could be good. What I will argue with is that Trey Sermon was a substantially better bet to be that running back that would be good than all the other running backs on the San Francisco 49ers. I had made a comment showing Trey Sermon's grade and all the players that had the same grade and made a comment, not only may Trey Sermon not be the best running back in the 49ers, he may not even get on the field. This was in like June, like pre-training yeah. camp even. It was the most prophetic thing I've ever said. And... uh it was totally 100% true. I absolutely believed it at the time. I did not believe it at the time. I thought for sure he was going to get on the field. I even thought he had a chance to, to produce for a while. I just didn't think he'd produce for very long because I didn't really, he's not good. Good yep. players hold their job. He's not good. He'll get replaced. So he was one. Uh, and then we got Rodney Moore, as, as previously spoken, which Rest is wrong. Peace. The masses have <laughs> gravely erred on this one. Uh, tremendous mistake. I actually have him marked as a sell in my in my clusters. I have marked as a sell only because I refuse to be the guy that thinks he knows better than the masses. Yeah, but I think I know better than the masses, and I think he's going to be good. So I'm playing both sides of the coin here. Uh, there's really no way I can lose. <laughs> I love that. Trevor Lawrence face planted for single QB purposes. There is not nearly enough data on Superflex to know if Superflex changes it for quarterbacks. But uh, yeah, he face planted. I don't know if it matters or not. There's so few quarterbacks that face plant. I really can't say one way or the other. What I can say is he's one of the highest drafted one QB quarterbacks in history. So that might have something to do with it. 
And then Terrace Marshall, he also face planted, which should not be a shock. He had an atrocious year. And, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So another question here, and, and this is just for the, for the listeners that like understand the face planter part that they're players that usually, you know, fall off. How rare is it for these face planter players to come back to relevance and have like a top 24, top 12, top five type season? Like, like I know that like a lot of people just think, okay, face planners, yeah, they didn't have a great first season. They probably won't do as well the second season. But this is a lot more rare than people realize. So can you tell us just how rare it is for these face planners to come back into relevancy? So if you wanted to hold your NFL first-round pick, I'm not talking about dynasty first-round picks. I'm talking about NFL first-round picks, which is a rare breed, right? Like for wide receivers specifically. Yep. This is a... We're flipping to a wide receiver discussion because this is the one I recently looked into yep. and it's completely fascinating. So if you have an NFL player drafted in the first round of the NFL draft that face plans per ADP trends, you can either hold that player or you can flip them for a random third round pick in a rookie draft in a dynasty rookie draft and you will have the same historical hit rate. So your first rounder is now worth what is equivalent to a dynasty third rounder. A dynasty third rounder is like, I think like, who's even getting drafted in the third round this year from wide receivers. Like it's yeah. nobody that you want. Yep. And that should tell you everything you need to know. Like we're talking about, uh, I don't even know. Like it's like Valus Jones, like guys, yeah. guys like that are getting drafted in the first round, like a sixth round, like a six year college receiver that had one year over 300 yards. So that's that's not controlling for uh, draft capital or, or for yeah. uh, sorry that's controlling for draft capital. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, dynasty rookie picks. It's not controlling for player quality. So yep. yeah, we can pick out some of the better players in the third round, but on average, a third round pick in a rookie draft is the equivalent of a NFL first round pick that face planted. It's yep. crazy. On wow. that topic, if you wanted to draft or if you wanted to know who the good players are that face planted. I will give you one sure. that was actually good. And his name is Demarius Thomas. And do you want to know why he face planted? Because this is this is like I actually don't remember. I know you've talked about this before, but I don't know why. After his rookie year, Demarius Thomas then tore his Achilles tendon in March. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Which tanked his ADP for May, which is why he face planted. He's the guy that came back and crushed. That's oh. it. That's the whole list. That is the entire list of face planners that were like top five wide receivers. Out of how many? Oh. How, how many wide receivers? Uh, 70 or so. So, so. so let me just say this for the listeners. This clarification, if you're not understanding, is that of these players that lost at least 12 spots in ADP from one year to the following year, there has been one player out of 70 that has later hit a top five season. Is that correct, Drew? You would be correct. And that's the thing with people that they don't understand is you want to win your fantasy leagues. I want to win my fantasy leagues. Drew usually wants to win his fantasy leagues as well. And the players that are going to win your fantasy leagues are players that you draft in the top five. And I know that, you know, they're face planners. They're a little bit cheaper. But, this, the, the, of course, it's like it goes back to the Tom Brady thing we talked earlier. It is in the range of outcomes for these players to come back to a top five season. But it's so unlikely and it barely ever happens. And that's why you don't want to draft these face planning type players because it is in the range of outcomes. But it is so beyond rare for wide receivers to eventually hit a top five season after face planning that you should stay away from. Of course, it's possible. Of course, the guy that you think may be the guy that finally comes back and does it. 
you know, I can't tell you no, but it's probably not going to happen. And for that reason is why we avoid these face planning type players like the ones you mentioned. So I looked it up. Uh, there's 73. Wow. Of which one. one hit a top five season. If you want to do the math on that, that's one out of 73, a 1.4% historical hit rate. That's crazy. And how many how many of those 73 later hit a top 12 season, not even top five? It gets really wild at this point because we literally double it to two. To two. <laughs> two. Two out of 73 hit a top 12 season after dropping an ADP. Yeah. It's madness. So again, this is a wild, wild and crazy percentage, but 2.7 percentage. 2.7%. And the, the second guy that did it, is Will Fuller. Shout out to Will Fuller. <laughs> who just hit it like two years ago in a half season. That's crazy. Do you know yeah. do you know how many players even hit top 24 out of those 73? It's probably not too many. Uh I yeah, I could tell you real quick here. Yeah, maybe. Like, oh but, no, I can't. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine out of 73. Have it yeah. no listen, people. That is one singular top 24 season after face planning. One 12.3%. 12.3% chance that your player hits a top 24 season as a wide receiver in their career that they hit a top 24, and you have a 12% chance after they do that. A 2% chance that they finish the top 12, and a whopping just over 1% chance. <laughs> that they get a top five season. It's crazy. We will move on from face planners. I get it. Drew, I have three more questions for you, and we can get out of here. Hit me. We'll talk about – huh? Hit me. Oh, absolutely. I will hit you. Just Again, <laughs> I can't hit you because we're in different places. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But two players I want to talk about. I talked about this at the top of the show. Players that are really confusing to me. And I'll, I'll state what I have, and I'm sure you have something pretty wonderful on these players. This works – with the topic of, of wide receiver. Actually, Drew, if I can real quick, I have a fourth question. I want to get to this one real quick before the face planners. Mm -hmm. We can go over this quickly. But on the topic of face planners, let me just backtrack real quickly. I'm sorry, listeners. But Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman was one spot away from being a face planner, one spot away from being one of those players that is almost doomed to ever come back to fantasy football relevance. But I'm someone, Drew, that, that believes in Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman's a guy that I'm excited about. I mean, he earned targets last year like you enjoy. You know, eighth highest target share at 24% last year. You know, he was third in route participation among all wide receivers. Every time they were passing the ball, he was on the field. That's exactly what you want while getting a high target share when on the field. He was also number two in route, route, route run win rate, according to player profile, which means he was always getting open when he was on these 98% of routes. I know Matt Harmon's reception perception hasn't come out on him, but you know, just the route run win weight is probably going to be pretty high. And Michael Pittman was a guy that Matt Harmon said was a guy you should be targeting because he got open at a high level as a rookie. And then he did that, got the targets in this offense. But the other side of it, Drew, is he was almost a face planner. He was almost one of these guys that I just went on a rant about that has almost no chance to come back to relevancy. So is Michael Pittman going to come back to relevancy? Is he not? What are the chances? How do you feel about Michael Pittman right now? I feel uneasy. I don't know which way he's going to go because he did have a good season this year, but he also has an absolutely horrendous yep. prior to this year. He yep. has a bad college prospect who was a bad rookie which typically means a bad career, but then he had a good season. So 
who knows? And if I don't know or I don't feel confident one way or the other, I tend to just sell the player. Yep. If I don't know if he's going to be good, I'd rather just sell him for somebody that I do think is going to be good because we're pretty good at picking out who's going to be the good players. And I'd rather just go with what I'm comfortable with. And if I can't get a player that I think is going to be good, I'll just cash him in for a draft pick because then I can get a player that I think actually has a chance at a long career. And I don't know that Michael Pittman does. I don't know that he doesn't either. Like I don't, after this last year, there's no real concerns. I don't think uh, like from the season, other than he didn't really have to compete with anyone to catch the ball, but he was pretty good. You know, like he wasn't a bad player this year. His any of his like metrics that you look at to quantify if this player is good or bad usually showed up on the good side. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Like I think he's fine. But but sticking with USC, what about someone like Amon Ross St. Brown? It's another player I want to talk about. As you called the sun god in one of your podcasts last year, before he had any chance of breaking out, he was someone that you had on a podcast and you said you should be keeping an eye on this Amon Ross St. Brown guy. Like he's someone that you should, you know, be keeping an eye on. And I remember saying that and I remember having him early in the season and him not doing well. And of course, right when I dropped him is when he turned into like the greatest wide receiver of all time down the back stretch. And you mean here's he the thing. turned into the sun god? He turned into the sun god. But here's the thing. I actually, I know that he has increased target share. I know that TJ Hawkinson is still there. And I know that they drafted Jamison Williams, which much, which much mean they don't believe in him, that he has no chance of ever being good because they drafted a first-round wide receiver. But Amon Ross St. Brown has a really interesting case. Among every rookie wide receiver, round three or later, with an 80-plus rookie PFF grade, there's only a very few amount of players on this list that had at least 250 routes run. That list is Doug Baldwin, Keenan Allen, Tyreek Hill, Terry McLaurin, Chris Godwin, and Amon Ross St. Brown. All had a 80-plus rookie PFF grade. That's the list. That's the entire list of players that did it. He also was the wide receiver five from weeks 10 on. And I know that from weeks 10 on, what are you saying, Alex? That's half a season. The season was 18 weeks. He had a nine-week stretch, half of a season, that he was the wide receiver five in all of fantasy football. There were only four players that scored higher than he was, and two of them were Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson and Devontae Adams. I can't think of the last player, but that's about it. Those are the only players better over half a freaking football season. It's crazy to me. And the other thing, Drew, before I let you take over this, targets are earned. Players earn targets. And Amon Ross St. Brown, as a rookie, had a 21% target share and had an even higher red zone target share at 23.7% in the red zone as a rookie. While getting this PFF grade that has only been among other elite players, commanding a clear target share and being a top five wide receiver in fantasy football for half a season as a rookie. He had those games where you work out the rust as a rookie and then he came in and then produced. I don't care who was on the field. He earned targets. He produced. He was a top guy for half a season. Drew, I'll let you take it over from here. Do you believe in him? Do you not? The floor is yours. Okay, so let's go back to Amon Ross St. Brown, the rookie. The prospect, pardon me. Amon Ross St. Brown would have qualified for my bulletproof tier had he been drafted in the first couple of rounds of the NFL draft. He, he was everything that I look for in a wide receiver. And then he fell to round four. And then he was nothing that I looked for in a wide receiver. That is a bad omen. If you do not get drafted in the first three rounds of an NFL draft, you're basically toast. 
the percentage of players that come out of the day three that actually are good is like astronomically low. You might as well buy a face planner. Like they're so incredibly low. So I'm on Ross same round. Went from hero to zero. And then he didn't really do much in the NFL to start with. And then he started doing a lot. And I was pushing back. It's like, no, like we need more information. We don't. At this juncture, I'm not buying it on Amon St. Brown. Amon Raw St. Brown. And then it kept going. 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 And then finally, after week 17 or 18 or whatever year ended the or week ended the year, <laughs> I went back and looked at his PFF grade. It was like, and looked at his sophomore comps then. Uh, sophomore comps is a whole new process I developed last year that is like the best thing I've ever done. Uh, and w- what I do with that is I look at players, PFF grade, their points per game, their, their, uh, pre grade, their, their, uh, their prospect grade. And then I look at the players that did similarly within those realm, within those spheres. And once we got the sophomore comp season, Almond Raw was like back to the sun God. <laughs> he looked incredible. And then I had to go on Twitter and say, I have changed my mind. Amon Ra is now very, very good. And I will be very happy to hold Amon Ra St. Brown on my team. And then it became a matter of, of price, right? Like every player, you need to determine if A, you think they're good, and B, if you think they're valuable. A player can be good and not valuable. A player can be valuable and not good. So you, in this case, we or I thought Amon Ra St. Brown was now good. But I wasn't sure he was valuable. That was where my hangup was. He was going for some pretty hefty prices. Uh, now he's going for 42.11 KTC points, which I don't think is too bad. I actually have him as a hold. I don't think he's necessarily a slam dunk buy. I don't think he's a slam dunk sell. I think I just like to just to sit on him and see where it goes from here because I think he is good at football. And at the end of the day, if I'm holding a player that's good at football, eventually yep. he's probably going to be good at football or good at scoring fantasy points because good players tend to find a way. Uh, we'll see what happens with that Monroe St. Brown. I do think that DeAndre Swift is good. I do think that TJ Hawkinson is good. I think that Jamison Williams is somebody that could be good. I, I'm not like locked into Williams by any stretch, but I don't think he's bad. So Amon Ra, yeah. When I first discovered, I don't know if I'd ever, I'd never seen this before from anyone ever. <coughs> Pardon me. I'd never seen this before with anyone for Amon Ra St. Brown or with any, for, from anyone, period, looking at rookie year PFF grades. And I know you cited 80. I actually use a lower threshold when I first discovered it, it changed my whole life. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, wow. You can actually pick out day three players that are good. You can pick out players that basically did nothing that are good. You Like, everyone who does this is good. Everyone. Every single player except for one. And I can't remember that guy's name. He was wildly unimportant. But, like, Antonio Brown hits it, and Stefan Diggs hits it, and Doug Baldwin hits it, and on and on and on and on. And it was just like wow like this is like finding the uh the lost ark or whatever the hell they call it no the the rosetta stone is that the one that that you can decipher all the languages from i don't know i'm not a historian the point is it felt like my eyes were opened and i suddenly had a way to then compare bad prospects and find a way to say which ones were actually good and amon raw is the guy that i think does that uh, I've seen a lot of people talking about it on Twitter the last few years or the last year or so, which is funny because I'd never seen 
anybody talk about it before that. But it's kind of like one of those things when you buy a car. You buy a car. You you own a car. You must own a car. Uh, I I don't own a car. I live in I live in the city. <laughs> I should own a car. Does that matter? I live in Boston. There's nowhere to park. Oh well, I don't live in big cities. Anyway, once you buy a car, what you'll notice is you see that car everywhere. Yep. Yeah, uh, definitely. I did in in high school when I had a car. Yes, that was absolutely the case. Yeah, it's wild. And I don't know if that's the PFF grade thing. Like maybe I had just discovered it and then suddenly I started seeing my car everywhere. Yep. Or if I had discovered it and then other people started catching on to it. But it was it was cool anyway. But uh, yeah, I'm going to say Brown is like pretty good, I think. It's not really a hot take. I don't have like a yeah. spicy take on I'm going to say Brown. I'm just like lukewarm. Well, here's the other thing that also makes me believe in him is, is again, this is kind of, I promise I will not scream or rant or yell into my microphone again about this, but do you know what the top five, sorry, top four wide receivers were in the NFL last year in fantasy points? They're Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, Debo Samuel, Justin Jefferson. Okay. From weeks 10 on half a season after, you know, he had his first, you know, eight games to, you know, figure things out as a rookie. After that, there were only four wide receivers better than him. Once again, Cooper Cup. Debo Samuel, Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson. They were the top four wide receivers, like for the whole season, and the top five wide top four wide receivers from weeks 10 on. After that, Amon Ross St. Brown was the best wide receiver, not named those players after week 10. And, and hold on. And I know there are bulletproof patrons right now probably jumping up and down about points per game. He was still number one in points per game outside of those players, among players that played at least like six games. Over that eight-game stretch, he was still number one outside of those top four players. And again, that doesn't mean automatically he's going to be good. But again, he's in print some pretty historical comps, you know, for PFF grade. The fact that he did that, you know, in the second half of his rookie season, which I know half of a season isn't that great for other players, but for rookies, that is pretty important and pretty indicative. So we'll finish with that. But two more questions no, for no, you. Don't, yeah, don't finish yet. I want to come back and talk about that for a second because I think one of the things that people that are are fading on Monroe St. Brown are looking at is oh look at his or 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 like Uber plugging him is looking at his last five or ten games or whatever it was weeks yeah. ten on and saying well this is the norm and it's certainly not the norm and nobody thinks it's the norm yeah. whatever or what they should be doing and whatever in my opinion what people should be doing which is maybe not right but anyway basically what I do is I look at a rookie's season long target share I don't I don't care what their last half the season target share is because I'm comparing everyone across the board. And when you do that, Amon Ross St. Brown still had a 21% target share. So yeah. now we're looking at a player that had 21% season-long target share, and we're saying, what will he have next year? And it's pretty tough to like reduce his target share because he was a rookie for half the year, or he was a rookie that wasn't producing for half the year. So I like when I'm doing my projections, I'm looking at, projectable range of outcomes. I'm doing a couple of different scenarios on what I think is possible for Amon Ross St. Brown based on, you know, history or the player, if the player has more history or, or like, you know, historic day three picks that did what he did, uh, so on and so forth. And when I do that for Amon Ross St. Brown, what I'm looking at is a player that is probably going to be in the 20% target share range at worst because he was already at 21. I'm not looking at his last 10 weeks and saying he had a 40% target share. So he's going to continue that. I'm looking at it and being like, well, he had 21%. It's pretty unrealistic to project him for less. That's probably his floor. 
And then we're looking at a range of outcomes on what to increase it by. And when we increase it, we're, you know, jumping, you know, two or three ter- uh, percentage points per pop. So floor 21%, uh, moderate or like medium outcome, probably like 24%, like Amon Ra St. Brown, the sun God, probably like 27, 28%. And when you look at that, it's like, well, yeah, he's still like a potential top 12 wide receiver. He's probably, in my opinion, more likely a wide receiver two candidate than a wide receiver one candidate. Three. But you're only paying 42.11 for him on KTC, which isn't all that much. For instance, Darnell Mooney is at 41.81, and if you gave me the opportunity to trade my Darnell Mooney for Amon Ross St. Brown, I would need to buy a new keyboard because I would have smashed it hitting the accept button. Yep, like exactly. He he's priced fine, and there's other players that are priced badly in that price range that you could easily flip for him. Yep. And, and that's the point I'm trying to make. And, and I know that I've gotten excited about it and I've given all these stats. Like, it doesn't mean that I'm like, I'm on Ross St. Brown is ranked as my wide receiver 13 right now. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I think he's a lot better than people have him value wise in both dynasty and redraft. There's a chance he could be a wide receiver one, but more likely than not, I think he's a wide receiver two this season. That's all I'm going to say. Like he was great last year. He's probably a wide receiver two this season, in my opinion. Doesn't think that just because you know the only four guys ahead of him, you know where he was last year, means I think that like I have him as a wide receiver one. That's not the case. It's just showing he has clearly a lot of talent. The situation I think does favor him, even if he has a little bit more competition. And we'll see what happens with him. But nonetheless, someone I am very excited about. Before we get into your flag plant, which will be the final question today, another guy that's perplexing. Is Mike Williams? Mike Williams is. I don't. I'm not going to get into a screaming match about you know how great he is and how many players were better than him over like a nine week sample size. I promise, I'm not going to do that again. But Mike Williams is someone that's that's pretty interesting because he had a big role change this year. But like, I think that Mike Williams is really interesting. I've heard the case for both sides. I mean, like on one part of it, Mike Williams had 40 end zone targets since 2019, the most valuable targets in all of fantasy football. He's had 40 of them over the last three years, and he's only converted eight. He's one of the best jump ball wide receivers in the NFL, one of the most physically most imposing players playing with good quarterback play the last three years, has only converted 20% of the most valuable targets in the NFL. He's destined for positive regression. He also, last year, had a career high in targets, receptions, and receiving yards. He's also going to be 27 years old in the prime of his career ready to go up top and fall on his back and hurt it and not play for the rest of the season once again. This guy also had a career-high 20.8% target share thanks to his career-low 10.8 yards per A dot compared to 14.8 being his previous low. His role was a lot different. He was running a lot more shorter routes, and I know he had a knee injury that really affected him last year, but this is still a condensed offense where Josh Palmer is going to be the fourth option. Like I know that he's competing with Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, but the fourth option is also either Gerald Everett or Josh Palmer. It's going to be a condensed offense where we can maintain a high target share. But the other side of it, like you said, Drew, is he's never had a high, what you didn't say, but I'm saying is he's never had a high finish. You know, he, he has never produced for a full season. He's like Devontae Parker, where every single year he's a breakout candidate and he's a guy that's flashing in training camp or heard in training camp and then consistently never really does it for a full season. So do you think that this is a season where we could actually do it, or is this just Mike Williams' hype that we do every year and it's not going to happen? This is Mike Williams' hype that we do every year and it's not going to happen, and for the record, I've never done this hype. Okay. (laughs) 
But like quite simply, we go back to 2017, his rookie year, and we just look at how much he scored in fantasy points year over year over year over year. We get 2.3, 11.1, 10.8, 10.2, and then 15.4. One of those is not like the other one. And the one that isn't like the other one is the one that people want to cling to because it's the most recent one. There's a pretty good chance that that was a weird season. And furthermore, if you look at the games that he played, he goes 22, 22, 31, 30, pardon me, 33, 2, 36. That's his first five weeks. Yep. Then he goes 4.7, It was a weird season. I would never bank on this again. Players don't typically put up top five seasons for the first five weeks and then completely disappear for the next 11 weeks or 12 weeks now. Yep. It's just so unlikely that this is the new norm that I would never pay whatever his price. I don't even know what his price tag is, and I know I won't pay it because I'm not betting on that one outlier season out of five. If a player takes five years to do anything, they're – after being the seventh overall pick in the NFL draft, this isn't like some guy who had to work his way up the roster. He arrived on, like, in the facility, expected to be a stud, and never was. He probably didn't just figure it out. He probably just caught lightning in a bottle. So I just move on. Yeah, and that's and that's fair. And I think the other thing that you know, and, and I didn't understand this. I've always been a fan of yours. You've known that. But I think one of the things that there's going to be some people that are listening that are going to be saying is like, this guy's insane. Like Mike Williams is clearly going to break out. But I think the thing that people don't understand is the other, you know, the inside of part of what you're saying, which is just the probability. What's the probability that a wide receiver that's flashed for like five or six games and is 27 years old and is a former seventh round pick going into his fifth or sixth year in the NFL? What's the probability that player finally breaks out regardless of if everything is going right? And could it happen just like everything else we've talked about on this podcast today? Absolutely. Sure, it could. Sure, Drew could be wrong. But if you're playing the numbers, it's probably not. I think this could be a rare case where it does happen, but I know the numbers are not in in favor of this. Like, if you wanted to buy Mike Williams, you also would have bought Kenny Britt after his big breakout with the Rams in 2016. You would have bought, uh, uh, what the hell's that guy? Terrell Terrell Pryor after his (laughs) 1,000-yard season. You'd have bought, you know, any number of different players that didn't break out until they were basically toast. And that like that's that's the that's the crux of my entire philosophy with fantasy football is what do what did other players do that got to this point? And then what did they do next? And almost every player that did what Mike Williams did, Devontae Parker is another one. He's a one-hit wonder that broke out with a top 12 season, if I recall, uh, better than Mike Williams, and then completely disappeared the following year. Like yep. This is just what happens. Sometimes players catch lightning in a bottle, and there's really nothing you can do about it. And it's really hard to project that to happen again because it was such a rarity in the first place. Like It's just, yeah, it's just super rare to have this like weird fifth or sixth year breakout and then have it actually continue usually if it's a fifth or sixth year breakout you're like thank god i can get out of this guy you know i i finally have a sell window to unload my fifth year breakout perfect exactly some other folks are like 
just like I always expected. I liked him as a prospect, and here we are. Five years later, my prophecy is true. The truth has arrived. Buy some Mike Williams. It's just like, show me a time this happened, and then it was real. It's like yeah. Adam Thielen. Okay, you got Adam Thielen. Who else you got? Adam Thielen was also an undrafted rookie who barely played for five years. Not a guy that was seventh overall that was on the field for like 80% of the snaps for five years. Like it's not the same thing. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And, and I think that again, I, I believe in him probably a, a bit more than you do just because of the situation, but like what you're saying is again, the, the historical, you know, numbers. And if you're playing, you know, the past data points, it, it says probably not, but it's interesting to know if it could happen. Um, if, you're, if, if you like Mike Williams because of the situation, you should just go buy Jalen Guyton for free. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, that's that's Which fair. I would never do, but if you liked him for the situation, I'd just go buy somebody else in the offense. If you like Mike Williams because the Chargers is a high-powered offense, go get you some friggin' Keenan Allen because that's the good player in the offense. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I struggle. I'm definitely gonna keep struggling with Mike Williams. And I and I think that everything you said is completely fair. But you know, when there's guys like uh you know Matt Harmon, you know Dwayne McFarland for PFF, Josh Larkey. I mean, I think I think three really really smart minds. You know, especially about wide receivers and all those guys believe in Mike Williams. It's hard not to. But you know, the numbers that you're talking about and how rare this happens for prospects like that speak for themselves. So it's it's such a tough you know situation. But his price is again his price is still pretty high. You know, it's about as high as he's ever finished. I would suggest, and I I could be wrong because I haven't seen those guys' analysis. But it sounds to me like they're basing their analysis on a singular year, which was last year. Yep, and that's that's where most of it was coming from of what his how much his role changed, how much the yep. quarterback changed things, how much, but everything around him did change. But did it? How come we didn't produce for the last like yeah. ten weeks? No, not even ten weeks. Like from week six on, did his role change back, or did it stay the same? Because we saw not the same Mike Williams after six weeks. Yep, and it was it was blamed a lot on the the knee injury. And we and, and again, I, I know Josh really believes in him. I, I know Dwayne made a case for him. I know Matt Harmon liked him last year. I don't know if he still likes him this year. So don't please do not quote me. And as me speaking for those guys, they're all like truthers <laughs> of Mike Williams. I was thinking about that, and I was like, okay, I don't want people to like all of a sudden think that I'm like calling these guys out. Like they're they're like riding right with me. I know that there was like a guy that you know they've had some hope for at least. But I know Josh Larkey at least likes him for sure. But again, we will digress from that. I just want to make sure. Josh Larkey like him. The guy's got a twenty percent target share. And Josh Larkey is like the like a huge analytics guy. Loves Mike Williams. Shame on Josh. I'm gonna go tweet at him now. Please, and, and watch. It's probably I probably have the wrong person. And Josh like hates Mike Williams. <laughs> no, he probably <laughs> likes him. Go all down. Yeah, he probably he probably absolutely Mike Williams is his least favorite player in the world. Mike Williams probably like poured a drink on him at a bar or something like that. And he hates him. <laughs> and I'm gonna be a clown for this, but that's why you probably don't name drop and stuff like that on people that are in on it. But so, again, so to be clear, Matt Harmon has Mike Williams with really good reception perception in years past. No, no, sorry. It was it was that I know Matt Harmon last year was like he he is one of the late round players that he was targeting was Mike Williams. I'm pretty oh. sure that he was like in an article that was a late round player that could break out. And he's like Mike Williams is a case. His reception profile doesn't say it, but you know the potential is there. Someone that's a late round dart throw. I wouldn't necessarily call Matt Harmon a truth there. Matt Harmon, I'm sorry if I if I you know used you too hard but we will digress from Matt that. Harman, we're just trying to get to the root of this. So yeah, absolutely. We may need 
you may need him to, to step in and, and just call me a liar, call me out on Twitter. I lose my following, my job, and I have to just like live on. <laughs> I have to live on the streets of Boston without my car because I don't own one, and I live in the city, and it's it's all downhill sense. from here. But that's so, that's usually how it goes. <laughs> so Dwayne McFarland, though he like he likes uh, like win rates and stuff, right? Like man yep. man uh, yes. man coverage win rates and things like that. So Mike Williams has really good man coverage win rates then, or what is I, McFarland I, like him? I'm trying to think, and I, I can't think back to the. I can barely remember what I ate for breakfast, and I'm gonna have to do that. <laughs> and probably it's probably the same thing where I'm just making stuff up. But I'm I'm pretty sure that we talked about him on the episode that I have, and I'd have to ask Dwayne myself of like what what was your you know reasoning behind that of why you you really liked him. Um, but again, that is neither here nor there. Yeah, Mike Williams is someone we talked about, and I'm pretty sure you liked him. That was on. Okay, it, it is what it is. Um, but I'm sorry we're we're going so off the rails here, Drew. No, I'm having a blast because I'm no. I'm like grilling. You're curious. Now now. So You're curious. Landish Mike Williams love affair, but it's because other it's okay by my at least my thought process, and I could be completely wrong. Other stats guys like yourself might be in on him, and that is purely on him. I would never. So sorry, I was saying other stats guys. <laughs> That are also stats guys like you, well, not necessarily. People you know, nobody's that. perfect, so everybody has their flaws. There you go, Josh. Yeah. Sorry about that. This tweet, this clip is gonna get tweeted out to like Matt and Dwayne and all this, <laughs> and I'm, they're like never gonna want to look at me again just because I might have thought that they were like truthers for them for a little bit. So it is, it is Mike Williams, and they're gonna be <laughs> mad at me because I think that he's not very good. It's gonna yeah, be great. Either exactly. way, no matter what happens next, it's gonna be great for everyone. Absolutely, as as it always. That's the only person that can be great. Except for Mike Williams, yeah. Jalen Guyton is going to take over, and Mike Williams is going to be, you know, like like begging for change with me on the on the streets of Boston. You know, it won't be Jalen Guyton. It's going to be Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, and no one. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I just wanted to throw some shade at at Jalen Guyton, as we should. As absolutely should. Him in shade, in fact. (laughs) He totally should. But true. My final question for you today on the podcast and for the people listening to this podcast, this is the best part of the entire episode that has been absolutely action-packed. This will be the longest episode in Fresh Fantasy Podcast history at 130 episodes. What is your 2022 flag plant? Last year, you planted your flag on Cam, the MFing Ram, and then he tore his Achilles, but was about to have the greatest running back season of all time, hopefully. But who is this year's flag plan? Who is this year's player that's going to tear his Achilles next month and make this take irrelevant? Who is the player? That you <laughs> now believe? I'm terrified because I'm going right, to make my right. guy tear his Achilles tendon again. I'm, this is amazing. I'm just coming after everybody at this point. Oh, my God. Saquon Barkley, I'm so sorry for what it's worth. But Saquon <laughs> Barkley is my flag plan for the year, and I believe he will be a top three running back in the 2022 NFL football season simply because – he is possibly the greatest running back we've ever seen outside of no one. He's probably the best running back we've ever seen. Okay, maybe not. But he's really good at football, and I'm going to give him a top three season this year because I do think he's going to be back to normal after this year or after his, like, you know, he tore his ACL, he had a high ankle sprain, he had all these, like, debilitating injuries, and uh, running backs get hurt. We talked about this Christian McCaffrey. Running backs get hurt. I'm not that worried about a running back gets hurt because they all get hurt. And if Chris, or if Saquon Barkley is back to normal, he's going to be a top three running back because 
He catches a ton of passes, although he didn't last year. But in the past, he's got a ton of passes. For instance, as a rookie, he had 91 receptions. 91 receptions. That's the type of rookie year. 24 points per game. That's the type of season that breaks fantasy that only a handful of players in the entire world are capable of putting up. That's what Saquon Barkley brings to the table. He is priced nowhere near his ceiling because he's been hurt. And I agree to some extent that he should be faded a little bit, but he shouldn't be where he is. Like there are players going ahead of him that have like, they would be lucky to sniff his worst season basically. Yeah. So just give me Saquon Barkley and everyone else can go directly somewhere else. He's RB 13 for goodness sakes. RB 13 in dynasty. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. crazy. Okay, but but like you said that like with the football, I know he's running back 13, and that's why you're buying him as your flag plant because he's so low in price. But like this year in fantasy football, in a redraft league, this season only, I know you like Dynasty and this is a Dynasty podcast, but like would you take DeAndre Swift or Saquon Barkley this year? Gun to your head. DeAndre Swift. Okay. Is it close for this year? Yeah. Okay. So it's close, but you would take Swift, but Barkley – you know, like would Barkley, do you think, be a top 10 guy in your redraft rankings right now for running backs? This is such a complicated question because yeah. it's r- rankings are so broken. And 100%. I will rage against the machine on rankings every single day because I'm never going to be on the clock and having to pick between like Jonathan yeah. Taylor and Saquon Barkley. What sure. I probably do, I think Saquon Barkley has a higher ceiling than Jonathan Taylor. Yes, absolutely, without a doubt. But I'm never going to draft Saquon Barkley over Jonathan Taylor. Because Jonathan Taylor is available at the 101, and that's it. And Saquon Barkley is available in like the second round. Yeah. So I'll just go ahead and take Saquon Barkley in a redraft league in the second round after taking Jonathan Taylor in the first round. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like absolutely. The the problem with rankings is that we the context of a ranking is like who would you take a player A or player B? And I'm like I'm going to draft the guy at cost and hope that the other guy falls. Yeah. I'll take the higher ranked guy first, and then maybe. The lower rank guy falls to where I might get him. That's what yeah. I'm going to do in a redraft league. But if I had to say, what is the order of the running backs that are? Go- Sorry, how do I word this? <laughs> what order will the running backs finish in? Yeah. I believe that Saquon Barkley has top three potential. I yep. think there's probably Christian McCaffrey at number one, without a doubt. And then I think it's like a five way tier of Saquon Barkley and DeAndre Swift and Alvin Kamara. Okay, is that five or four? That's, That's three. three. Who am I missing? <laughs> Eckler? Is, no, I don't. I don't. Eckler's not that high. He Najee, Najee Harris. I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> hold on a second. Let me get back to my running backs here. Maybe it's Joe. Maybe it's Joe Mixon. You you were a believer in Joe Mixon last year before. Oh, uh, for sure, I was a believer in Joe Mixon. He's not gonna be top five. Yep. Uh Oh. Uh, no. Yeah. Okay. It was Javante Williams, but he's not going to anymore now that Melvin Gordon's yep. back. So. Agreed. Yeah, it's you know. Three guys that have top five potential uh, and Christian McCaffrey, number one. And then Jonathan Taylor is probably the guy that I would pick with, you know, the the next guy up in terms of where he will finish. But Jonathan Taylor is like locked into that spot. Yep. Like his floor is his roof. Like he, we know, we know what we're getting with Jonathan Taylor. With these other guys, it's like, yeah, okay, we might get a little less than Jonathan Taylor. Like, if DeAndre Swift goes out this year and puts up 18 points per game and Jonathan Taylor puts up 19, 
I'm fine with it. Even if I like if I had Jonathan Taylor in place of uh or if I had DeAndre Swift ahead of him. Because I wasn't shooting for 17 or 18 points per game with DeAndre Swift. I was shooting for 25. Like that yeah. was the goal. That was gonna win me my league. So I shot for the ceiling and it didn't work out. Whatever. I lost two points per game. No big deal. Saquon Barkley is the same idea. Yeah, he's probably gonna have 18, 19, maybe 20 points per game, but he could also have 25 because that's in his range of outcomes. So anyway, I think Saquon Barkley is probably a top three running back this year. It's going to be probably Barkley, uh, or sorry, Kamara, or uh, McCaffrey at number one, without a doubt. It's Christian McCaffrey. There's no one else. He's number one. We have no debates there. And then after that, it's like, well, Jonathan Taylor's probably going to be in and around there at like 20 points per game, 19 points per game. Saquon Barkley is probably going to be in around there. Uh, Alvin Kamara, if he plays, is probably going to be in around there. Saquon or uh, DeAndre Swift, if he is healthy, is going to be in and around there, which is like, yeah, like just give me Saquon. I think he's real good. I love it. I love and Saquon. He's a lot of touches this year. I know. I, I will be drafting so much Swift, Saquon, Leonard Fournette, you know, some James Conner with the value that he's at right now in redraft, like guys like that, that like, are just going to be on the field, catching a lot of passes, all that kind of stuff. I'm I'm so excited for this year. And Drew, I'm so beyond excited to have you back on the podcast again. This episode was phenomenal. This will actually be the longest episode of this podcast by probably at least minimum 20 minutes <laughs> off the top of my head, but it was so worth it. That makes sense because well, we had so many insightful things to say. But, but here's but here's the other thing, and and we'll, I will close with this, and I'll give you a chance in just a second. But like this was not an episode where we lollygag and you know talk slowly about a bunch of different players. Like we were literally just yelling and, and getting excited about so many different fantasy football players. And this episode was as action packed and as funny as any episode I think I have. And the people will love this episode. But Drew, people love this episode. But what they love even more is you, the human you are, the person you are, and the analyst you are. Such a pleasure to have you on this podcast again. Before we go. Please plug it for the listeners. You have one of the biggest Patreon followings in all of the fantasy football world, and everyone should be in your Discord, as I have been for the last year now. Please plug for them everything they need to know. All right. So, yeah, the the patrons Discord, I think, is invaluable. We have a number of analysts now that are helping chip in with uh, some, like, honestly, just some incredible content. Uh, guys like Jacob Sanderson and Cooper Adams. And uh, uh, we got the Davids lately, the tight end guru and the running back guru. So that was pretty exciting. Uh, we got a cash and Ian who are doing the R squared podcast on the Bulletproof fantasy football podcast network. And uh, a Deco who or a Deco. I never remember how to say his name. It's crazy. A Daiko, I think it is. And nobody knows who he is. And he is like the best analyst in football. And it's ridiculous. But he doesn't tweet anything. The only thing he does is come on the Patreon and prove me wrong every freaking minute. And it's super annoying. But it's super helpful because he's he's incredibly smart. Yeah. And uh, he's basically only found in the Patreon and is an integral member of the member of the cast. So Some- Anyway, we're all at Bulletproof uh, FF on Patreon, so come check us out. And then we got the podcast, which I haven't done my own podcast in like a year. 
Uh, well, not since I think the Joe Burrow episode, maybe, which was uh, wow. a real hit, if I recall. Uh, so, yeah. But Akash and Ian are holding down the podcast for us for now at Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast and also on YouTube. And, yeah. So, join us. <laughs> As you should. Drew, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. It is a pleasure to have you. And it is a pleasure to have you listeners listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast week after week. We have consistently grown year over year and people are consistently blowing my mind with the numbers and the support. I cannot say thank you enough to people like you, but the thing that makes this show possible beyond me is you, the listeners, and great guests like Drew that we have on each and every single episode. This will definitely go down as one of my favorite episodes of all time and I can confidently say that. But again, thank you so much for the listeners. As always, Please leave a review. You guys already know what to do. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day.